see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should not perish. Father, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would indwell in us richly and that it would help us, just as Jesus said that you were going to send it for this reason, to help us to understand his words, to guide us as we look at your word and think about it and meditate on it and reflect and contemplate what it means for us and that you would use your word to comfort us Father, please, we know that your word is here for our benefit and our hearts being full of sin are stubborn to receive it. So where we need to be rebuked, rebuke us. Where we need to be taught, teach us. And where we need to be encouraged, encourage us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what it looks like to be great as a Christian? A great Christian. One of the greats. In the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing Jesus answer or reply to a question that his disciples asked about this very thing. The disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we look at that question and we see that it's a very humanly question. What do I mean by it's a very humanly question? Well, the disciples, just, they, they just haven't been understanding exactly what Jesus has been trying to get at. We've seen Jesus teaching his followers about denying themselves, picking up their cross and following him. Jesus has been teaching his followers, the disciples, that if you want to find your life, you need to lose your life. Jesus has been teaching the disciples that he must die. Time after time, Jesus has been teaching his disciples that the kingdom of heaven looks different than the kingdom of earth. And although the disciples had been with Jesus for a while now, although the disciples had been taking steps forward in their understanding, the disciples' vision is still very cloudy at best of what Jesus has come to accomplish. Because the disciples, they're asking this question about who is the greatest in the kingdom really to boost their own egos. This is why Jesus tells them that the greatest in heaven 
are those with childlike dependence on their heavenly father. And we see after Jesus answering that question, Jesus enters into a conversation. Chapter 18 is a conversation with the disciples on how they are to interact with other disciples. You know, as I've been reflecting on this passage, Jesus is is pointing to the fellowship or the local church and how Christians interact with one another in the context of the local church. This is what he's doing. He's trying to kill their egos and show them how we interact with one another and how the disciples should interact with one another in the local church. And this is why last week we saw, as Jesus answers the question, who's the greatest? The greatest are those who have childlike dependence on my heavenly Father. And then he tells them, we see last week, that we're to take our sins serious. And we take our sins serious so that way we don't cause a little child to stumble. So that way we don't cause another, another Christian, a follower of Christ, a, a disciple of Jesus, to sin. And we saw how loving your fellow Christian actually looks like taking your own sin serious. The Pharisees appeared to take their sin serious, but they did not love their neighbor. We as a church, we put to death the deeds of our flesh. We we take our sin serious for the sake of one another, not just ourselves and our relationship with our Father. So as Jesus, he continues this conversation on what greatness in the kingdom looks like, we see this morning that we shouldn't look down on any disciple, but care for and love them. We shouldn't look down on any disciple, but care for and love them. And we will see first Jesus' call not to despise any child, any Christian. Second, we will see the shepherd's care for those who have strayed from the flock. And then what we will see is third, the father's love for the future of the sheep. So we look at this, this first, we look at verse 10, and, and we, can, we could call it a rule, we might call it a command, or, or we might even say that it's a tenant that Jesus is giving them. But what we shouldn't do is call it a suggestion. Jesus is not suggesting that the disciples do this. It's a rule, command, or tenant, whatever you want to call it. Just don't call it a suggestion. Don't call it an option. This is something that all disciples are called to do, to not despise one another. He says, See that you do not despise one another of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. There it is. As plain and simple as it can be, the one who is abiding in Jesus and doing his will, doing what he has done, is to not despise another disciple of Jesus. What we need to to realize is that Jesus is not using this word despise flippantly. When he's using this word despise, he's saying something like this for us. Do not hate 
Do not hate one of these disciples. Do not hold contempt for one of these disciples. Do not arrogantly look down on another disciple thinking that you are better or greater than they are. Let me maybe say it like this for us. To despise one of God's children is to think in your heart that they are worthless of your care, consideration, and love. To despise one of God's children, one of the disciples, another Christian, is to think that they are worthless of your care, consideration, and love. And so let me just suggest for us maybe a few ways that we may despise other Christians, that we may despise other Christians, particularly in the context of our local church. You may despise or look down on another Christian when you deny helping them when they are in need. On the other hand, You despise other Christians when you have favoritism towards one group in the church over another group in the church. You are willing to bend over backwards for this small group of people and totally ignore the needs of others. You despise others in the church when you ignore or are overly judgmental to the one who strays and stumbles. And you despise other Christians in the church when you use them and take advantage of them for your own personal gain. Now those are just a few ways. We could keep on going on. And so this is the question that we as a church need to ask ourselves. Have we been despising other Christians in our church? Have we been holding contempt? Have we been looking down upon? Have we had this ego or this sense that I am greater than they? It's plain and simple. You despise the follower of Jesus when you do not care for and love them. And this is the heart problem of the question that the disciples are asking about who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. Their lack of love and care for those who may appear to be lesser than or not further along or in the crowd or or, or in the inside. We might say, thinking about what Jesus says above about not causing another to stumble or sin, that when you despise another Christian, really what you're doing is you're sinning against them. Jesus is very clear that we must not despise another Christian. And what's interesting is he says, he tells us one of the reasons why. 
because the value of one of God's children, the value of one of the disciples of Jesus is so valuable that he has angels watching over them in his presence to tell the Father what's taking place. Do you take your care and love for God's children, specifically those in, in this church that you're sitting next to, so serious that you know that God's angels are looking after the person you're sitting next to. Let me illustrate it like this for us. Say you have a large family. Ten children. That's what I consider large. Not five, that's small. <laughs> Would you not want your children to get along? Would that not be your desire? I mean, you know that they're going to bicker and that they're going to fight, but at the end of the day, don't you long for that your children would, would get together, that they would get along. At best, what they would do is they would show care for one another, that the older would be willing to serve the younger, look out for the younger, be there for the younger when things are going wrong, and that the younger would do the same to the best of their ability. Now, wouldn't it break your heart if the three oldest started acting as if the two youngest didn't exist at all? Didn't acknowledge them? Didn't care anything good that happened or anything bad? Certainly didn't show love at all. Now, the body of Christ is to have each other's backs. We are to have each other's backs. The world already despises the church. The world already looks down and holds contempt in their heart for the church. So there is no need for you to despise another follower of Jesus, especially in this church. And so Jesus, what he's doing is he's calling his disciples to care for and love other Christians. Look, a dying church, an unhealthy church full of unhealthy Christians, one that is not full of the Spirit and producing godliness and obedience towards Jesus, despises one another. They don't look out for one another. They have favorites. They look down on others across the aisle. Now, in our neck of the woods, we don't show our hate for people in cruel ways. We don't shun people, right? We don't just completely ignore people or cut them off. We here in our neck of the woods, we nicely hate people with passive-aggressive comments, words, actions, and thoughts. That's what we do. We subtly cut people down. We subtly ignore their needs. We subtly not care for or love them.
But we're called to live out this tenet, to not despise one another here in this church, not to despise other Christians around the world. And Paul tells us this is possible. It's possible to walk in such a way where we don't despise one another and he gives us an easy solution to it. Or at least it it looks easy, doesn't it? He tells the Philippian church to radically care for and love one another by putting others' needs above their own needs. Do you put the needs of others in this church above your own needs? The tragic thing is, is that our sin and desire for worldly greatness gets in the way so quick. It gets in the way of putting the needs of others before our own. And when that happens, and we sin against others, there are serious consequences that take place. There are serious consequences that can happen. Because the person who is despised and sinned against can actually stray from the community of God's people. There's a word uh, going around within the church called the dechurched. Those who have been abused or sinned against or despised in such a way where they look at the church and they say, there's nothing there for me. When we sin against others, when we despise others, it can quite literally cause them to stray from the community of God's people, stray from God's flock. Our own sinfulness can cause others to do that. But through a story, we see the shepherd's care for the one who has gone astray. And this should bring us great encouragement. So we see in in verses 12 and 13, Jesus give this story. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Now the story seems to be pretty straightforward, doesn't it? One of the sheep has strayed from the flock. The shepherd, he leaves the 99 to go and search for the one that left. He finds it, he rejoices over it, and he brings it back into the flock. Now, there's, before, we, before we, we look at these verses, there's an important distinction that I want us to see here. There's two accounts to this same story that Jesus tells, one here in Matthew and one here in Luke. Matthew is telling the account when Jesus is talking about the straying sheep that's in the flock. Here, Jesus means the disciple, the little child, the Christian, the believer. Luke uh, talks about the lost sheep, meaning the unbelieving person. 
So Matthew's talking about the Christian who strays from the flock, and Luke talks about the unbeliever who is lost. And in both cases, what we're seeing is the length of the love and care that the shepherd goes to. We see the shepherd leave the 99 for the one. We see that the shepherd cares enough about the sheep not to write it off. Not to throw up his hands and say, well, better luck next time. We see that the shepherd is invested. He is committed to the sheep. Out of 100 sheep, he notices that there's only 99 around. And so he tells himself, I need to go and get the one. Now, 100 sheep, it was about the average size of a flock. So it would have been very easy for the shepherd just to say, well, another sheep will come along. Little, little Mary over here is pregnant, so we're expecting another one. So might as well just write off the one that wandered away. It shouldn't have wandered away, but I mean, it'll probably make a good snack for someone. The shepherd doesn't say that. The shepherd doesn't think that the immediate reaction of the shepherd is to go, to find, to rejoice, to, to bring back the lost sheep, the straying sheep, the sheep that has gone out of the flock. So imagine with me again that one of your children ran away from home. And for some of you, you don't have to imagine that because you've experienced that. You're devastated. You're angry. You're scared. Your heart is broken. And so you go, you look, you search all of the places that your child could be at, hoping that you see them. Hoping that you see their face, you see their haircut, you see their clothes. You go and find them. You, you look for them. You, you rejoice when you find them. You bring them home. It's because of your care and love for your child that you go and do that. And this is the care of the good shepherd. He goes and he looks for the strayed, the hurt, the broken, the sheep who's been abused. the straying sheep who's being chased by predators. Did you know that Jesus, he is the good shepherd? And through Jesus' life, he quite literally shows us the extent that he would go to to rescue us from the sin that kills us. The good shepherd, Jesus, he dies for his sheep to bring them into his flock. Jesus dies for your sin. The very sin that justly damns you to hell, that accuses you, he 
dies for it. He leaves the heavenly places to come and look for those who are strayed and who are lost. He calls their names. And when the sheep hear their name called out by the good shepherd, they come running. They confess their sin. They repent. And they trust in the good shepherd to care for them. To lead them beside still waters. To make them lie down in the pastures. To be with them in the valley. And it's not just with you individually, but it's with other sheep as well. So what is Jesus teaching his disciples here? He's teaching his disciples that when you notice that a sheep has strayed from the flock, go, find, rejoice, bring back. What he's teaching us is that when you notice a sheep that has strayed in this flock, this local church, you call them. You text them. You email them. And you ask if, any, if everything is alright and if there's anything you can do to help. At times, people come up to me and they ask, hey, where is so-and-so? I haven't seen them for a few weeks. And this is great. I don't mind it when people do this. But I want to encourage you this way. Do you know why you're coming up and asking that? It's because the Holy Spirit has put it on your mind and heart to care for and love that person. Think about it. The Holy Spirit, God is using you in that moment to think of that person, to love and care for them. And sometimes what we love to do, not even knowing it, is we love to ask, where is that person? Because it almost eases the responsibility of what the Holy Spirit then is calling us to do. What Jesus is calling us to do as a church, as his body, as family members, when that person is laid on your mind and heart to go to them, call them, text them, email them, the Holy Spirit wants to use you to go, find, rejoice, and bring them back into the flock. That's incredible. That we get to be a part of God's plan of going to the straying sheep, those who have left the church or have de-churched, and to bring them back in. So, what Jesus is teaching us is that you, me, 
that we need to go, we need to find, and we need to bring back those who have strayed. Why? Because we are displaying the gospel of care when we do that. We are displaying what Jesus has so clearly displayed for us through His life and ministry. That He leaves to go and get the straying sheep. So not only in this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples, does He show that the Good Shepherd is invested in the sheep that have strayed, but He also shows how the Father is invested too. He shows the Father's love and investment towards the sheep and their future. We see in verse 14, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. At different times in our lives, aren't we consumed with knowing the will of God? Is it God's will for me to take this job? Is it God's will for me to date this person? Is it God's will for me to go to this school? Is it God's will for me to move to this city? Is it God's will for me to attend this church? Is it God's will for me to do whatever? What's amazing about what Jesus says right here is that we, we, we clearly see what God's will is not. It is not God's will that we should lead or that one of the little ones, one of the sheep in the flock would perish. That is not God's will. We see John in his account of the gospel dramatically say this by telling the disciples that not one of the sheep will be snatched from my hands. In this last verse, we are seeing that there is a warning for us here and a great, great promise. First, the warning is this. And before I get to the warning, I want you to just take a quick look at one another. Go ahead, turn around, look across the room, look at the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, across. Think about the years of you being a part of this church or maybe another local church. This is the warning. is that when you despise or when you look down on another Christian, and please listen to this, when you despise, when you look down on, when you hold contempt, when you hate another Christian and you cause them to stray, you are actively working against the will of God. And so if that is you, if you have been guilty of that presently, in the past, with somebody in this church or somebody at another church, and if the Holy Spirit is drawing up conviction and remorse, confess your sin and do not let your shame or guilt keep you 
from going and asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. Now that might not be possible with all circumstances, but to the best of your ability, make that attempt. Which this then leads us to our deep praise that those who belong to the Good Shepherd, they will not be lost. They will not stray forever. So if you have done all you can, if you have confessed, if you'd asked for forgiveness, now is the time to rest in the promise that Jesus says here and know that if that person truly belongs to God's flock, if they are truly a little child, he will not let them perish. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member or a spouse. Trust this promise and then worship God. Worship God knowing and expecting because of this promise, because it teaches us this, that at some point the straying sheep, the wayward sheep, will make its way back into the flock. That's good news. So if you haven't picked up on this yet and you didn't hear me say this at the beginning of the message, as Jesus, he's having this conversation with his disciples. He's having this conversation with his disciples on how the disciples are to live with one another in the context of, of the gathering, of the local church, of, of being with one another, the community of the saints. And it gets messy here. It gets messy in the church. But it's wonderful. The church is truly a wonderful place full of messy saints that sometimes sin and are walking the same narrow path with one another. Which means that we should not look down on any disciple, but care for and love them with a love that the Good Shepherd and the Father show us in this passage. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our individualized way that we approach church. And would you help us to seek out those who have strayed and patiently love them as you work in their heart. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.